Here they come! Welcome to episode 6 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Dave from Neozaz Productions to discuss the asteroid scene from The Empire Strikes Back, from the start of Falcon being pursued to, I can't do a Harrison Ford, but to, yeah, me too. Ship to ship. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Hello, Dave. Hello, Eric. <laughs> finally, finally. Right. Dave, thank you very much for coming along for this today. Um, no, thank you. I, I, two, I knew... two, uh, two old projectionists talking thousands of miles apart about special effects. Can't get any better than this. Well, there you go. There you go. Couldn't have said that better than that. Okay, <laughs> right. Um, Empire Strikes Back. Um, it was always going to be the second Star Wars film that I was going to cover kind of logical there and you were um the logical choice to discuss the first scene from empire strikes back because i know it's your favorite star wars film um but yeah, it's, what... it's a it's not only my favorite star wars film it's my favorite movie of all time see you so preempt- i'm you've preempted yeah. me my, my question was going to be where does it sit alongside all the other films outside of star wars Oh, it's number it's number one without hesitation, and I'm honored that you know you're gonna choose you're doing all these great movies, past, present, you know, like old sci-fi, newer stuff. I'm honored that you chose me to represent The Empire Strikes Back because to me it is the perfect film. There isn't a second of this film that is not complete and utter perfection. It's the greatest movie ever made. Period. Would, would you also include the special edition in that statement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That yeah, doesn't th- change my. That doesn't change anything for me. No, and also the the, the changes weren't too uh, too jarring in Empire as much as they were in some of the others, were they? Yeah, and off offhand, I mean, I'm, I, you, just, you just mentioned that I'm trying to think of some things. I know there was a couple extra like cloud car type things in uh yeah and you had windows in bespin didn't you put in yeah it was and it was it was little things like that there was the when they're all running around on it seems to all happen on cloud city when uh you see tion chyler matt's <laughs> other favorite character um she they she gets her scene where lando makes the announcement and they all kind of stop and listen that was added other than that i can't really think of a whole lot that was added because maybe it's the greatest movie ever made oh you got the you, you got the wampa haven't you you've got you, you see the wampa i think that's a big change that's true. I was uh, just listening to one of our old shows, and it was the Wampa, and I think those changes were a welcome addition. They made they yeah. made it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So, so when did you first see it, then, Dave? I was seven. I think we're about the same age, and uh, I was I was seven years old. Saw it in theaters several times. It was actually the first movie that I ever recorded on to a videotape from cable to watch over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that maybe helped not not I mean it was great anyway, but 
it's one of those things that becomes part of your childhood watching it as many times as I did it entrenched it in my soul as the greatest movie of all time I've probably seen that movie I would I would say at least a hundred times Right, okay. Well, um, you're slightly wrong there, Dave. I, I'm a bit older than you. I, I, I think I was 18 when it came out. I, I think I'm about 11 years older than you. So, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. If it was 1980, uh, it was 80, wasn't it? 1980. Yeah, yeah, I was 18. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm a bit older than you. Um, so, like I said in, 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 in episode one, um, that... Back then, there was a gap between, you know, when a film was released in England, uh, in America, and then England. It wasn't as big a gap as the first Star Wars, but it was still a case of me being, you know, such a fan. When the book came out, I had to read it, you know, and I, I bought the collector's magazines and stuff like that. So, I again, I, I, I knew all about it before I saw the film. So, um, yeah. um, I, 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 I loved it, of course. It, it, it is a fantastic film, but. I always view it, it's a bit strange because Star Wars, when it came out, I was 16. So in very many ways, I was still a child. I think Empire Strikes Back was the first film I saw when I was, could be considered an adult, I suppose. Right. So your views between the two, your, the, the, the way you view something, I think, changes a bit when between 16 and 18. No, but I, I, I still loved it. I, I, you know, I agree, it's a fantastic film. But to me, it's still... The, the first Star Wars. I think maybe it's because I, I was a bit younger that uh, I cherished the first one more than Empire. Do you hmm. see what I mean? I do. The other thing, and and I was thinking about this in watching the scene that you and I are going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, we had because it was the '80s records, and I mean, I don't know, does your son does your son listen to vinyl? My 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 wife over the last couple of years she's really got back into vinyl a lot, and uh, she and my son uh, they, they they go to concerts um, not far from you know Whitstable where we were talking. There's a place called Ramsgate, and they've got a very small theatre there. But you get a lot of good bands come along, and they are always there selling their vinyl. So um, yeah yeah we've got quite a vinyl collection going on right now, modern stuff as well as old. Yeah, right. Well, that's good. They, I mean, they do that here in the states too. You can buy. If if uh, you know somebody comes out with a with a new album, you can certainly get it digitally. You can certainly still get it on CD, and you can get it on vinyl for some people. But you pay like triple the cost yeah. now to get it on vinyl just to listen to it on a record player. But for some people, that's important. Um, what I was gonna say is when we were little, we had well, there there wasn't when I was real little VCRs, and you could watch the movie over and over again. So we got the story on record oh the story of the empire strikes back yes and it was it was a little bit of narration but it was all of the actors voices from the films and the john williams score and that's probably the other thing that made me fall in love with this movie because when i wasn't reading about star wars or reading comic books about star wars or drawing Star Wars pictures or playing with my Star Wars toys, I was listening to this record over and over and over again. The second it was over, I'd flip it and start it again. And this scene that we're going to talk about has to me one of the greatest scores ever composed. And I would listen to it over and over again. And I think, I mean, we're talking about, we're going to talk about special effects, but special effects 
are one of the things that makes that scene great. The score is one of the other major things. Mm-hmm. And that's what you that's what you get on those albums. That probably also helped me love that movie as much as I do. Okay. Do you want to hear a projection story? Absolutely. Uh, I had the story of Star Wars, you know, for the first film. I didn't have it for Empire Strikes Back, but it was only a year after it. I, I started being a projectionist in 81, and Empire Strikes, Strikes Back kept coming back um, on re-releases, and then there was a double bill, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And I worked out in the projection box. Did you, When you were in the projection box, did you have a monitor speaker that you could turn up so you could listen to the films? Absolutely. Yeah. I worked out it had a headphone socket um, in the side, so you could put a pair of headphones on and listen to it that way in case you were listening out for clicks on the soundtrack, any um, errors, you know, to the soundtrack. And I had worked out, I guess because I'd done electronics at college, it wasn't all a waste, that I, I worked out a way that I could get the headphone plug wired up to the input at the back of the cassette player that we used for non-sync, okay? And okay. I, I recorded the audio of Empire Strikes Back. I recorded Star Wars. I recorded Raiders of Lost Ark. I recorded Blade Runner. All these films, I, I had them all on these C90 cassettes. Oh my so God. I was a bit like you. But I was pirating, I suppose, <laughs> before, before, long before video. Um, and I was having, like you, you have an audio version of the film that you can just play over and over again, except mine was illegal. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't That's know if amazing. I should have said that um, on a podcast, really, but there you go. Well, I think, I mean, in this country, we have a, a statute of limitations. Uh, it's usually about seven or ten years. I think you're okay. <laughs> That's a great story. That I would have, I would have still done the same thing, you know, like a couple of years ago, just just to <laughs> drive around in my car listening to. A, I I I would love to just drive and listen to a movie. You don't need to watch it. Yeah, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. it. That that's a great story. I'll tell you what was really sad. I I I, I um I became a ma- massive fan because the same year that I became a projectionist. Mad Max 2 came out, or The Road Warrior, as it's known in America, and I fell in love with that film, and I recorded that. And two years later, when I I passed my driving test, that's all I used to play in my car. I just had The Road Warrior playing over and over again, and I had my car sprayed black. Okay, it was a. You should Google it. We we had a car over here called a um, a Ford Capri. Okay. not it too dissimilar in look to the Ford Falcon, which is the cars that they used in the Mad Max films. And uh, it was brown, but I became obsessed by Mad Max, you know, uh, one and two. And um, I, I had it resprayed. I, I changed the interior, you know, because I was single and I was earning this money. I didn't have a girlfriend. Um, so I had all this spare money and I converted this Capri into a black car, okay? I had the black wheel covers, I had the black trim on the on the rear window, all this nonsense. And I was driving around just listening to Mad Max all the time and loved it. And the day I stopped doing that and gave up was I stopped at some traffic lights thinking I was the bee's knees because I'm, I'm listening to Mad Max, I'm in a Mad Max car. And there were some schoolboys at the traffic lights and they looked across and they went, oh, look, it's Knight Rider. Aww. And that was it. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm giving it up. <laughs> <laughs> they, they ruined your life, those kids, those little dickheads. I should have backed up and run them over, really. You should have. You I were should've. driving around listening to Brian May. They, they should know better. Yeah, yeah, punks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good story. 
Anyway, we've we've gone gone off tangent a bit, haven't we? Well, that's what happens. Is at least every podcast I've ever been on is is a you know riddled with tangents. That's all. <laughs> that's all that happens, as far as I'm concerned. Me and Matt did this on on, uh, um, on, on the first episode, and I I I was going to do it, but I, I don't trust my computer to do it. To so have a little sound clip of "Stay on Target," you know, and press that every time <laughs> we we drifted off too far. But I don't trust my computer to do it, so I'm mentally going to think that. There you go. Okay. All right. So let's get back to this film, um, and uh, I think this is a good time to have a clip. So here we go. I'm going in closer to one of the big ones. So the sequence starts for us uh, with the wipe, which goes from Luke's X-Wing, um, and we drop right into it uh, with the Falcon, the TIE Fighters, the Star Destroyer, and the laser blast coming right into the camera, don't we? Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, you asked me, you told me the scene, I'm, and I'm not going to like not watch The Empire Strikes Back, so I was watching all kinds of stuff. I watched like before this and watched after, you know, it's like, it's like I'm happy to watch this. That first shot of it flying right at you with the blast coming right at you is the kind of thing. They were going to release these movies in 3D here, and they started at the at the sequential beginning for some reason with episode one and they released episode one here in 3d and then they never did any of the others. That's a scene in 3d that I think would transfer pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I love the way that, you know, the, the last time we saw the Falcon, it's it, it's taking off, you know, you see it fly past Luke and, you know, Luke's getting near this thing and they're escaping to, to cut to this and they, I mean, this sums up Han Solo's character. You know, it's a very Indiana Jones thing. He's just done it again. He's just in deep doo-doo, isn't he? He is. And it, it, it's funny, because it, like I said, I watched before that. The scene right before that is, like you said, the wipe, and, and well, it's the X-Wing flying away, and this really kind of almost sweet conversation between Luke and R2-D2, where Luke is reading what R2-D2 is saying on his interpreter. And I was sitting here thinking about this, and I guess it never dawned on me, it was almost kind of touching in a way that at that point already in the second movie, what it was then, you're understanding how important R2-D2 is to that story and how important R2-D2 is to Luke, that he has had an interpreter built into his dashboard for you know, lack of a better word, so he can communicate with R2-D2. But, but that would be... Fantastic if that was true, but wouldn't it be a standard thing so all pilots can talk to their astromechs? I don't know. I was kind of thinking that too. Like, I wonder if that was the case with everyone else, or if he had that done because it was a special droid. Yeah. 
I mean, do they? I, I don't know. Like, you never really see anybody else in any of the movies other than. I think Obi Wan might talk to his. It's R four something or whatever. And yeah, the, in one of the and, yeah in the prequel. In, in the yeah. prequels, you never see any of the other X wing pilots talking to their astromech. Only no. Luke. Only Luke does that, and he does it even in the original Star Wars. Like when when he gets shot, when R two D two gets shot, Luke's upset. Yeah, and it's and not it, just because he's not going to be able to pilot his ship better. He cares about him. Yeah, e- even if it was a standard fixture and they've all got it the way he talks to him like you say the way he talks to him i mean you know r2 suggests something to him he could have just ignored him he, but he goes that's all right like you yeah. would talk to a friend yes you it's know? actually he doesn't the, hurt his feelings it's the one clip that we play on star wars and character a lot the crew and chris would play sound bites as, as luke going that's all right <laughs> <laughs> which is one of my favorite sound clips because it's just when you, it's played in certain contexts it sounds funny like if it's like, hey, do you want me to do something? That's all right. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of mileage out of that one, don't you? You do, and it goes like you said. It goes from that really kind of sweet. To me, it was kind of. I'm watching it today. I'm like, I'm kind of like it's kind of touching. To he's in deep shit. <laughs> totally, he's being chased by three star destroyers and a and a a flurry of tie fighters. By himself. Like, this is the kind of shit that he gets himself into. And he's annoyed. I mean, that's why he's so crusty and, you know, snapping at everyone. Because we next cut into the Falcon. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, he's not happy, is it? Because it's just going all wrong for him again. Yes. <laughs> the fact the fact that it's him and all of that stuff, it, it's kind of funny in a way. But you kind of just shake your head and go, yeah, I can see it. Because it's him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but then we, we we cut back to outside. I mean, stru- you have that great, well, at least we can outmaneuver them. And this next bit, I mean, it proves that they can outmaneuver him because the Falcon dives straight down to the bottom of the frame and out of shot, then up towards us. And it's really selling it that this is a top-notch pilot, okay? Right. And he can outmaneuver him if he's given the chance. But also, looking at that scene again today... Um, I was thinking back to me and Matt when we were talking about the opening of uh, Star Wars. It, it shows you how Industrial Light and Magic and those guys there, that, how much they had learned from the first film. Because as fantastic as the opening is, the Tanta V4 shot is, it is still pretty much two spaceships going in a straight line. But here, you've got the Falcon diving straight down, the TIE Fighters follow, the Star Destroyers keep going in a straight line. It just shows you what they had learned from that first one and how they had up there going for the second one. Right. It's very complex. Hmm. There's a shot where they show the three Star Destroyers from the bottom, all kind of within, it looks like within feet of each other. Yeah. Um. Now, like, I, I'm... I'm on this show about special effects, and I know almost nothing about special effects. I, and I'm not like a guy that's crazy about them. When you get a DVD or a Blu-ray, it's always there's always a feature about the special effects. Um, I almost sometimes don't want to know. Like I just want to watch it and enjoy it. Was this all done with models? Yeah, all, all, all models. All, all mo- models are composited together okay so, so you you would ha- you, you didn't have those two star destroyers that were coming very close to you. you didn't have two physical star destroyers getting that close you had one and then another you had the falcon then coming uh, towards you and all those three elements were put together and then the tie fighter elements were put in 
So I built shot. up layer upon layer. Yeah. Okay. So it's shot several different times and then just laid over top of each other, almost like the way they used to do animation. Cell animation. It, yeah. yeah it, cell it, animation. Yeah. Like I'm going to yeah. draw the background. I'm going to draw the foreground. I'm going to draw the character. You know, and then you just lay them over top of each other. That's a great analogy. That's pr- practically what it is, except instead of being a static cell uh, drawing, it, it is a moving image. Yes. Okay. That that to me is that scene is amazing from a technical standpoint because those three star destroyers are kind of contrasted with the small ships. It gives you this real feeling of dimension, especially when you can see there's shots that are interspersed inside the star destroyers, and you can see the other star destroyers out the window. Yeah. That makes you feel just how big those ships are compared to the other ships that are in the scene. It gives the whole scene. It gives it a reality and a dimension that uh, I, I guess because we're analyzing this, I, I we were. I mean, I feel like I was spoiled when I was little watching these movies. I grew up with filmmaking that was probably way beyond its time. The things that these that these men and women were doing, and I kind of guess take it for granted. I've seen it done poorly, yeah. like since. Like how can it how can it have been done so well in 1979 or whenever they made this movie and you watch things later and it's done so poorly it doesn't make any sense and I don't know it's not, and it's not money I mean they didn't the first Star Wars was an independent movie I, I think I, 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 sorry I'm, it just I it just say, blows my it blows my mind that this still looks as good as it does today and I still feel when I watch this as a grown up that that ship is as big as it is. And the Falcon is as small as it is. Mm, mm. I, I think also what you've got to factor in is, say everyone had the technology to do this. They had the money and they, the budget to make the models and film the models. But you also need people who have the imagination to actually frame a shot. I mean, the one that we're talking about where you're usually in, in, in science fiction films, when you see space battles, spaceships go left to right, they go up and down. But that shot we're talking about we as a viewer are looking directly at, up at the underside of the Star Destroyers as the Falcon is coming down towards us. It's very unusual in a film to be looking straight up. You're either looking straight ahead or left or right. You're not looking directly upwards, are you? Right. It's 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 another level of thinking that, that I guess you're saying should be credited to those artists because they were – they were thinking in ways that the film, conventional filmmaking hadn't been thinking. Yeah, and it's a way of presenting it. You've got the technology, you've got the models, and you can do it, but then you also need the imagination to how can we make this shot look as good as possible. I'll be coming back to this later on when we're actually in the asteroid scene. There is a moment there which I think very well illustrates it. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, I mean, it's, fant- it's just a fantastic shot of, of, as you say, these huge Star Destroyers almost hitting each other with the Falcon coming towards us, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a lot, like, I, like, I really enjoy photography and when you, when you take a good picture, your, your picture should have a lot of depth of field. Like, mm-hmm. the thing in the front can be in focus or the thing in the back can be out of focus or vice versa. That shot to me, although it all is in focus, there's a lot of depth of field to those shots because you can tell at that point when he does that dive and how fast this thing is going, 
that he's already that far away from those ships because look, he was just there, and now we're underneath them, and he's that far away from them. Yeah. It, it's all brilliant, brilliantly done to give you a sense of space, and and that's what good photography does. And that yeah. and this to me is like it's like moving photography that's done well. Hmm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, I've got a question for you for the next bit. Um, yes. you, you mentioned just there where you, you see the interior of the Star Destroyer and you see them almost hitting each other by seeing the other one out the window. And mm. you've got old Piet there saying, uh, take evasive, evasive action. Then there's a noise. And I've never been able to figure that, that out. You know, they do their, um, their acting of wobbling from side to side. That yeah. noise, is that an alarm going off? Or is it the sound of the ships rubbing together? Because I've never been able to figure it out. That's a good question. It, it's a great noise. Mm. It's a, the, the sound effects in all of Star Wars are always legendary, and people copy them. And I guess that's a sign of respect. I always, I, I, always, I would assume that that's a, that that's a warning sound, almost like how I mean, do, do the cars in Britain when you get too close? To another car, make this dinging sound. Now, some of the new cars, does it happen? I guess the new ones do, but I don't know anyone with a new car, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been in cars when uh, somebody, somebody that I know, they drive, and every time they pull into a parking spot, if they're getting too close to the car that's in front of them, it starts dinging. I assume that that's what that sound is. Right. That these star destroyers have this built-in sound that if something's within a certain, you know, number of meters, it's going to make that sound. Gotcha. Don't you think? Don't you think modern cars? It would be much better if they actually made this sound really loud. Yeah, that would be good. That would stop you, wouldn't it? I would get close to cars on purpose just to hear the sound. <laughs> you could actually record that sound and just sneak up to a car that's miles away from a car that's reversing and just let it off to just freak them out as well. I love this idea. I'm doing it. Go on, patent it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we we get past that. We go back outside, and again, again, I think it's the same thing again. We you, you've got a special effects designer or somebody going right. The Falcon's got to get away from the Tie Fighters, but the Falcon is spinning. You know, again, it it it, it it's telling you that 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 this uh, this pilot he really does know his stuff because that that spinning move is just so cool. You know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he he's he's able to. And we kind of talked about this on Star Wars in character, and it, it was a little bit disappointing because it it sort of took some of the stuff away from Han Solo's skills and gave it more to the Millennium Falcon that the computer system on the Millennium Falcon is so good that it allow, it gives him enough information to make the moves that he's making. Right. Um, that it's That it's not a fast ship, it's not a good ship, but it's a smart ship, and he is kind of in tune to that information so he can do things like that barrel roll it's it's really like a lot of stuff they probably imitated what fighter jets do in battle and stuff like that right it's very interesting you say that because um if some if anybody was ever going to ask me you know name your you know te- top five star wars characters one of them would be the, the millennium falcon because i i really do uh consider it to be a character yeah know? absolutely and now you've said that, that 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 makes it make me think that even more so. Yeah, we we just kind of talked about that recently, especially with this Kessel Run thing. That he's mm. he's given a lot of credit for that, and he should deserve credit the character. But 
that part of the reason he was able to make the Kessel Run in the time that he did was because the Nava computer on the Millennium Falcon, he has, and, and, and he deserves credit for this too, he has it souped up. I don't know if that's a term that translates. Um, but all of this stuff comes from George Lucas's love of hot rods. Yeah. And his character, Harrison Ford's character in, in American Graffiti, he's really kind of the same guy. And there's yeah. a there's a beauty in all of that. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I, it, it it never occurred to me that you know um, um, you know Han is is working in conjunction with the Falcon rather than just in conjunction with his co-pilot. You know, I guess that also explains how come Daisy Ridley can fly it so so easily in the Force Awakens if it's actually the Millennium Falcon flying it for her. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That and, and I've seen people are contemplating on what her relationship is to Han and why can she fly the ship so well. Well, maybe it's just because the ship is that great. It could be that the ship is more like, you know, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or uh, Herbie. <laughs> you know? I love it. <laughs> yeah, it could be. We they might should, find that out in Episode 9 or something. They should get Dick Van Dyke to be in uh, Episode 8. You have him as the voice of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, that would be awesome. In the voice he did for Mary Poppins, in that yeah. rubbish Cockney yeah. accent. Step in time! <laughs> they should do that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Another one to write down. Yeah. <laughs> write it down. There, no, there's no. one thing in that scene, and I was watching it today, and, and, and I can't believe I'm doing this, but I was kind of like, eh, this is a little bit of a criticism. When they're being chased, and the TIE fighters are right on his tail once they go back outside... Um, and they miss with their with their lasers. Uh, the lasers are stopping in mid space and and exploding as if they're hitting something. Mm. And I would notice that I guess because we're analyzing this, it's kind of like, well, wouldn't a laser just kind of continue on and on and on? It would go and, on to infinity until it hits something. Yeah, these are hitting nothing. Like they're shooting at him. He's moving. It's hitting dead space. And there's a little, you know, ball of explosion, and they stop. Maybe uh, they're not lasers, then. Maybe they're just like bullets that have a green trail to them. Could be. I'm I'm willing to go with anything that makes me not doubt this movie for a second, <laughs> which I did Stick today. That, yeah, I was after that. I was like, I'm I'm about to say something critical about this movie. No, they were bullets. They were bullets, Dave. I read that somewhere. They were bullets. <laughs> Thank you. Believe it. I do. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> right. Got you out of that one. Um, so we go back into the cockpit and we have a lot of uh, really good banter. The whole, uh, you know, watch this. We're in trouble. Again, good sound effects for the Falcon and the whole trying to fix the Falcon. Um, so we're, go we're going to skip through that bit. Uh, great as it is. Because mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about the special effects of the scene. So yeah, I was thinking uh, that those scenes are great, but I was watching it preparing for your show from a special effects standpoint and other than the actors and great set design i mean that that ship looks like a mess mm. because the set design is so great but there aren't really a lot of special effects on the interior shots of them sitting there it's great no. but it's but it's not for your show yeah yeah sure um so he goes running up because uh that wasn't a ah oh no that blows that theory that made you more comforted out the win out out the window. He says that wasn't a laser blast. Something hit us. Yeah, so they're not bullets with a green trail. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, you ruined my life again. 
I spoke I, before I thought there. <laughs> I love I love the fact that he says that though that he's 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 fixing something below deck and has wrenches falling on his head and he knows just by the way it sounds and the way the ship is shaking that they've hit something. That I lo- I love that he knows that something hit them rather than it being a laser blast. It just adds to his excellence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Anyway, they they run up to the cockpit and uh, um, you know got Princess Leia goes asteroids, and out the window um, you see something. I don't know if you know anything about this, uh, but we see the first glimpse of the horizon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, by that, what what I mean is when you look out the window, you can see in the distance a faint brown uh, horizontal line. Do you know anything about the the artificial horizon? The is that supposed to be the other side of the asteroid field? No, no. What this is, I mean, really, I should save this for behind the scenes, but we might as well discuss it now. When they started uh, filming this sequence, the whole um, um, chase through the asteroids, they were looking at the the dailies of the uh, model work that they had done, and Dennis Muren and a lot of the others realized it didn't make an awful lot of sense because you had ships going left to right, up and down. There was no real sense of peril, and there was no sense of feeling that, when watching it, you are part of it. And they worked out it was because you had no frame of reference as to where you might be in the asteroid field. Okay? Okay. So it became a bit disorientating, and there was no real sense of just where you've gone when you've done that, and then you're going there. And they worked out that if they very subtly put in a horizon line, way, way in the background, so when the camera tilts left, right, even without really noticing it, you are noticing, you know, that you are banking left or right because you have an artificial horizon line uh, way in the distance. And this is the first shot that you see of that. You okay. Know? I thought that was supposed to be like they're on this thing is a ring and they're on one. It's almost like the Milky Way, like they're on one side and you can see the other side of it. Mm. I, that makes sense, though. Like it, like it gives you bearings in the scene. Yeah. That's the word, bearings. It gives you bearings, yeah. I mean, I like that idea that, yeah, that's the far side of the asteroid belt. Um, but, no, no, that, that was the reason for it. If, if you go back and re-watch it, see how many times in shots you can see. If you look beyond the foreground, have a look in the background, and you'll see this uh, horizon there, you know? Very mm-hmm. interesting stuff. I did notice it when we were watching, and I, and I just thought about the Milky Way thing. I didn't realize why that's important to the scene. It, it's, it's really kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah, no, no, good stuff. And again, it's them thinking about how can we, you know, make, you know, the audience believe and get into this as much as possible, you know? Yeah. Anyway, the, the Falcon next does something. It, 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 it swoops up to, towards the camera um, and then away again. Now, I can't remember. I don't, I, I didn't go further forward in the film than this, but it's either this bit where the Falcon does that, and I think it does it again when it's approaching Bespin, it does this move. It's moving, I think, right to left, and it swoops up towards the camera and then away again, uh, which I always liked. I always thought that was a really good shot. You're exactly um, right. It does happen again later in Bespin, and I've seen that replicated in countless other movies. That's... I was just about to say. Oh, yes. sorry. <laughs> Go for it. No, a couple of years later, um, do you remember the film Dragon Slayer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the dragon in Dragon Slayer does the self-same move, mm-hmm. okay? It, 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 it's, 
It's going right to left, it swoops up and it swoops back. And it was industrial light magic that had done it. So they had obviously, you know, still had in their computers this motion capture move of doing that. And they just took out the falcon and they put in a dragon instead. It makes perfect sense because it's all, and to me, this is, I'm going back to photography again. It's about creating an interesting composition. Is it interesting for it to be flying straight ahead? Yeah, you'd probably get away with it, and a lot of movies do. But to do that move makes the composition more appealing to the eye. It makes it, it makes it, it makes it artistic. And yeah. I've seen so many other things that, I mean, even recently, like, like, I remember watching, like, Guardians of the Galaxy and, and, or any movie where there's a ship. It almost seems like they all do that move. And when I think of the scene, in the, and when I think of the Millennium Falcon flying, I think of that move. And it's subtle. It's, it's not like a, it's not necessarily a death-defying barrel roll like we were talking about, or the thing that it does later to get into the asteroid cave. Mm. It's just flying, but, but they make it more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get into the asteroids then, and, and, and the chase starts, and, uh, you start to see the TIE fighters getting hit. Now, one of them hits and it sort of like swells and it comes towards the camera and it's got a, a lot of energy coming around it. I can remember when this film came out, I was, uh, I think it was in Starlog or something like that. I can remember people saying, oh yeah, if you, if you look very carefully, the TIE pilot, he ejects. Okay. I don't think that's true. I, I haven't seen any word anywhere of them filming a, a little TIE pilot ejecting. No, I don't. I don't remember that. The fir the only person I remember ejecting is one of the guys in that scene at the beginning of episode three. One of the the clones. You see oh him, yes, you yeah. see him floating through space. I don't remember that. Are you talking about the one that's kind of like it's like a blue energy and it's kind of spinning? Yes. Yeah. Apparently they said back then. Well, if you look very carefully, you can see a pilot ejecting. No, that that's bollocks. Um, I I I've almost freeze framed it all the way through and there's nothing like that at all there's nothing no. there's not even a shape coming off of it that could even be remotely considered to be a human you know no i don't i don't recall that at all that that that's that effect is fantastic is that done with them filming the model spinning and then putting animation back over yeah okay that's exactly what it is it, it, it's on a gimbal so it's spinning and then they've animated maybe um thinking back 7980 that, that that would have been a hand-drawn animation yeah yeah exactly that's what I, I love that stuff i love the comp the combination of models and 2d animation that they somehow electrify i don't know how they do that to me that's brilliant for mm -hmm. 1979 i can't believe it i can't believe it still ha would happen today yeah and, and it looks perfect doesn't it you can't fault it even now after all these years no know? way no way Anyway, we, we, we get more of those horizon shots that I was talking about. Um, and the bit coming up now, I, I'll ask you at the end what's your favourite moment from this sequence. But this is my one. Um, when Han says closer to one of the big ones and C-3PO goes, oh, closer. And you get the most fantastic shot of the Falcon going towards that huge great asteroid and drops down just before hitting it. That is my favourite shot out of all this sequence. Right. I, I was going to say that, too. I, I did take notes when I was watching today, and the scene of they're still on his tail, and when he first does move in, this would be mine as well, my favorite shot, um, of him racing over the surface, 
you still even I mean my TV's big, but it's not super big. But still sitting here today, I get a feeling of motion, mm. and I get motion sickness very easily. Um, I can't remember necessarily seeing this scene when I was little, but I could I can imagine myself feeling like I'm moving. And if you can do that in a movie, I think you've been effective. And that shot of because you're used to seeing that whole scene is space, space, space mainly. But now you're you've got something terrestrial and you're flying over top of it and it's flying past you at a high rate of speed. And I feel as as a, you know, an adult sitting here watching my TV, I feel like I'm moving. And to be able to do that is is genius. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, again, I, I think it is a case of somebody, could be Dennis Muren, could, could be Richard Edelman, um, could be Joe Johnson, could be anyone. But the moment you're talking about where, where the Falcons drop down and they've arrived at the big one and he's getting lower and lower towards, as you say, a terrestrial-looking object and you've got the TIE fighters off them, what completely sells it, somebody's had the idea of, let's put a shadow in. You know, you see the shadow of the falcon, and it's quite small, but as he gets lower to the ground, the shadow grows bigger, and that just adds to the realism right. and sells, you know, the 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 the, the uh, sense of realism, don't you think? I do, and and I guess I I guess I, I'm trying to think if I even saw the shadow today. Where to me, to, for there to be a shadow, there has to be something behind it that's making it cast the shadow. Is there what is supposed to be called the light source? No, I I don't think it's as sophisticated as that, Dave. I think it's much like the horizon line. It's something subliminal that's put in there to just make you believe that they are getting closer to the surface. Okay. There isn't a light source. There's no there's no star behind them that you you ever see. Um, the star destroyers don't have whacking great big searchlights on them. So where is the light coming from? You could say that about the whole scene. Um, but it, it's it's just a very subliminal effect to convey the idea that the falcon is getting closer and closer to, as you say, this very terrestrial surface that it's coming up to. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It, it, and it was subliminal enough for me today that I guess I didn't even realize I was looking at a shadow. It's a uh, yeah. it's trick of the light. It's the who. And again, that that is hand animated. That is not... That's not a light behind the falcon, which is then shining onto the asteroid. They are completely separate elements. They've composed the elements, and then somebody has gone in, most probably uh, frame by frame, and animated that shadow. Yeah, I love. I, I mean, I remember when like Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in 1989, and that was a big deal because it was animation and and real, you know, actors together. That was happening here already. Mm. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, these guys were doing that kind of stuff long before that. Um, how like like even in the Jedi when when the when the Emperor you know electrifying Luke that has to be some kind of animation like it, the, I'm I'm a big fan of animation and the the elements of animation that pop up in this in any of these movies always is always a highlight to me. Yeah, and, and and it's just used to augment a scene, isn't it? It's not the be all and end all of the scene. And I think if you did, if you tried back then putting in a proper animation. You know, and I'm talking cell animation, not stop motion animation like the uh, the chessboard in the Falcon or anything like that. I, I think it would take you out of the film. These things are put in, like the lightning, like the shadow, you know, to just, um, you know, help the scene and, and, and um, just make it more dramatic or more realistic, you know? Yes, absolutely. 
Uh, but then, then we get what I was referring to earlier, which is the idea of uh, a guy saying, well, how, how can we make this scene more exciting um, and just juice things up a bit? And it's, it's the Falcon side turn through the canyon. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Now, that was Dennis Muren's idea, totally Dennis Muren's idea. I, I don't know how earlier it had been storyboarded, but it was his idea that if the Falcon goes through that canyon sideways... When it comes out, because it's going down this narrow uh, gap, when it comes out, the the picture will then go out to full cinema scope size hmm. and make a much more dramatic, you know, uh, moment. Right. And I think that's brilliant that you've got somebody think about, well, if we have this confined small image, then we can open it out and it will look that much better on a cinema screen. That they're thinking cin- cinematically what it would look like for the audience, you know? yeah, they're thinking about like the way it's going to be projected, which is is like another higher level of thinking. I don't know. If, I'm sure all great directors and and special effects directors think about that, but it's not something that that I even would consider. And and you you just get to enjoy it. But to get to enjoy it means that somebody had to do it. And it sounds like he's he was brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah, D- Dennis Muren, I've got I've got the utmost respect for. He's he's one of my heroes, you know, fantastic, talented guy, you know. Anyway, we g- you, you said earlier about you've got something that you know it's a bit of a small niggle. Um, I, I'm coming up to my small niggle okay. in this scene, okay. Um, and it's when Han goes there, that looks pretty good, and he points, okay, mm-hmm. um, and he points out of the cockpit window. Um, and it's, I've always found it a bit jarring. Um, when you look out that window as he points, you can see they ha- actually haven't arrived at the crater. <laughs> okay, he can't see into the crater yet, but he says that it looks pretty good. And uh, as I say, it's a small niggle, and that's the only real problem I've got with it. <laughs> yeah, that would, I guess I never thought about that either. <laughs> yeah, what's he what's he point out? He can't see anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe the falcon had told him. Yeah, and because uh, the Falcon knows it's coming up, and he's just, maybe the t- Falcon talks it. Maybe he's got a little earpiece, and the Falcon's just telling him what to do, and then he's just acting it out, and he's like a puppet basically for the Falcon. That's right. It's like Night Rider to bring that back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks. Um, but yeah, an- I, anyway, I thought of another thing that I can't believe I'm saying this. Another thing that yeah, I was watching it today. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of dated. Um, anytime anything explodes in that scene. I'm a little disappointed. Those two, you said, you know, it goes through the through that little crevice and the the tie fighters explode. The explosions, they don't look great. I'm gonna say that. Um, I don't like. I don't know. Like, I it, that to me is something that has improved over the years. Those explosions are a little a little dated. Hmm. Matt Matt touched on this in the first episode about the flashes during the Tantor V4 thing, and and it's an easy enough fix if you're if you're gonna make be you know, doing changes for the special editions and then the Blu-ray, you could you could have changed it a little bit more, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they th- they think the scene is just going so fast and it's cut so quick that you're looking at the Falcon rather than the explosion. I don't know. Yeah, they they also probably didn't expect people to pour over this the way we are back when it was made. I mean, I, the bottom line is, and I and I've said two negative things. I could say. 500 positive things this is so well done that it looks like it could have been done with cgi now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's how that's, how that's how well done it is and how great would it look if 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 we did see it in 3d 
absolutely. this whole sequence. Yeah, you know? absolutely. The the it it would add to that that when I watch 3D movies, I the thing that gets me the most is that depth. Um, when you're over something and you feel like you're you now you feel like you're floating and the ground is that far away. This this scene with that asteroid would would really 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 make that something almost palpable. Like I would probably yeah. feel a little motion sickness watching this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and also for the next bit, which yeah, you know, which is the up and over shot, which is just it's a sublime effect in my mind you know it's just a beautiful shot to have the falcon go up and over like that yes yeah it uh, it, it, w- it makes it more in the way that it it ascends and descends is is more pleasing to your eye it's aesthetic this mm. this whole scene is, is aesthetically pleasing where they could have done this a lot differently and probably would have not taken as long but they put the time in it probably took forever to shoot this scene, and we are the benefactors of it mm. because of the time that they put in. Mm. And also, I guess you, they didn't actually have to do it. You know, they the, the Falcon it's lost its pursuers. The Falcon could have just gone straight down into that hole. Yeah. But they've gone. No, this looks good. Why don't we do this? Right, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, Excellent. It, it adds to the beauty of it. It adds to his character because. It makes it more interesting. Look at the move this guy's doing now. Look at what this ship can do. It's it, it adds it, it adds another layer of of uh, interest to that entire scene. Whereas, like you said, if they just dove into it, you'd forget about it. You'd, you'd be like, yeah. okay, they go, they went in the cave. Who cares? Yeah. But because of the way he does it, it makes it pleasing to your eye, and it makes him and the ship even greater that he would do it that way. Yeah, it's a very flamboyant move, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's which, a good word. Which sums him up, you know. Yeah, he 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 did it. He did it in the way that he would do it. Maybe he's done it because he knows he's lost them. You know, it, it's a sense of relief. So it's a cocky little maneuver. It's like I I I've got this. We're safe now. Yeah. Um, it's a hot, it's a hot dog move. It's it's Maverick dog, buzzing yeah. the tower at the end of the missions in Top Gun just because he can. It's almost like a celebratory thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and then we get something, and we haven't really discussed it. We've been talking about the visuals, but you said at the start of the show about the music. Um, we haven't really discussed the music because we've been talking about the visuals, but I, I love this bit where the music uh, goes from... Um, just, just a joyous piece of music of sense of relief. And as soon as they enter that cave, it switches immediately to eerie, doesn't it? Eerie is the exact word I was thinking of. It's that like you know, mm. you know that they're not safe. What you don't yeah. know what's coming the first time you see it, and it seems like everything's great, but they're going into a deep dark cave, and that music tells you it's foreshadowing. It's good. Yeah. 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 Now, have yeah. you ever? And I know this is like a famous thing, and I guess I've seen still shots. Uh, with the asteroids, what's with one's a potato, one's a shoe, one's a cookie? What's uh, what, what's going on with that? We're coming up to that in behind the scenes. Oh, okay. I will shut up then. No, no. This is a very good time to start behind the scenes because that's what I was just about to say. Okay, good. Right. You ready for some uh, behind the scenes stuff? I am so ready to be stuffed. Uh, <laughs> there's no answer to that. Um, okay. Right. Th- this was. Dennis, we, we've been talking about him a, a quite a bit already. Dennis Murin, this was actually, uh, this sequence was his first work on the film. 
Um, and, and what a way to start off, eh? Yeah, really. I mean, you, you hit the ground running. Yeah, definitely. Um, for, for all the shots of the Falcon, they used the smaller Falcon. They used the two-foot Falcon uh, rather than the five-foot Falcon. Um, I guess because it, it, it's a bit more maneuverable. You know, it was uh, they were asking it to do an awful lot. Right. Um, so there you go. Um, in ILM, they, they didn't have enough money uh, or time to photograph each asteroid separately. Um, so they s- filmed a several at a time, and then they composited all these different shots together. Okay? Okay. Um, uh, the asteroids were carved out of polystyrene, um, then melted with acetone, uh, shaped with a heat gun, and then covered with plaster, and then painted. Which I know I've, I've I've used polystyrene and and used the heat gun to do it and then use plaster. You it, it ma- makes for a very very cheap uh, effect. You can make it very cheaply, but it looks blooming good um, once you've painted up. They, they they really do look excellent and they're incredibly light as well because the main core of the uh, thing is polystyrene. Right, and the and the the way that they carved them with all of these kind of like nooks and crannies, it really. It, it adds to that too because there are shadows on those things based on the way they're they're positioning their light that make them also look more real. Yeah, and and it does look real. It does look organic. If if you have polystyrene and then you drip acetone on it, nature takes effect. You're not cutting a shape. If, if you're cutting a shape, you know that is a human cutting a shape. Mm-hmm. But you get a much more natural effect if you let nature do it. So you drop acetone on polystyrene. I know neither of those are really uh, legitimately natural objects, uh, products, yeah. but, 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 but it happens organically, it ha- happens randomly, and that's why you get these very um, odd, bizarre shapes that, as you say, uh, create all these shadows. Yeah, it, it, it makes more sense. They could have done it by hand, but why bother? Because the, the, the natural shapes that they don't even know what they're going to look like are better than what they could do if they did it by hand. Yeah, you get a much more random look, don't you? You know, yeah. and therefore more natural, like you would in the natural world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go on the beach and you pick up ten pebbles. You're not going to have two that look the same, are you? No, and and you and you appreciate the ones that have all those kind of uh, imperfections, and that's what this is causing. It, it's a perfect idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, each one was attached to a four-pronged fork, apparently. Uh, which was mounted onto a pole, and then it was spun in in front of a blue screen. So that's how they got each uh, asteroid filmed. So this is shot a lot like the ships where you said each individually and then layered on top. Yeah, but here you would have three, if you imagine three asteroids attached to a pole or a stand, and the stand is rotating, so the asteroid rotates, and, and... in di- because they're different shapes, they spin in a different way. Um, you film three at a time, then another three, and then you superimpose them onto a star field, and that's how you do it. Okay, you know? doing three at a time, I would assume, cuts down on your time too. You don't have to do each in, in individual yeah. one. So they're yeah. all in groups of three. It doesn't even look like it. it. I mean, it looks like they're each individually moving independently in and of themselves. Um, I I think I think they that that. They occasionally would maybe have a super detailed larger one, which they would use for like foreground shots and stuff like that. Right. But certainly for the the, the ones at the background, yeah, they they they, they were uh, grouped together hmm. and, and photographed. Uh, now onto that bit you were referring to, uh, cameraman 
Ken Rowson. Um, he was a bit of a practical joker on set, and he used a potato rather than making an asteroid. Okay. Okay. Uh, he he used one potato, and apparently it is in shot. I I haven't been able to see where it is, but I've seen on the net, you know, mention of there there was a whole bunch of them. There was a shoe and stuff like this. But the only thing that's ever been ve- verified is the use of one potato. Okay. So these so are. The, I think that's all it is. These are the things, maybe legends that are just being spread around the internet. The only thing, yeah. the only thing that the filmmakers will confirm is a is a potato, and it's a potato. It makes sense because they're making. They know they're making a a, a very special movie. So you want to do a little joke, you put a potato in because it kind of does look like them anyway. To start throwing other stuff in there would have been disrespectful to the work you were doing. Yeah, yeah. It's like when projectionists splice in, you know, pictures of things that aren't supposed to be in movies. That's just that, that's just wrong. <laughs> you, the, who, who would do that? Who would do that? <laughs> only, only, only like the the most vile people would do something like that. I would never yeah. do that. No, I, I, I'd cross the other side of the road. <laughs> I would, you know. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Um, uh, for, for the uh, Horizon asteroids, you know the the, the, the um, this uh, Horizon thing. Um, they actually for, for that they strung coin-sized asteroids on black wires, which were affixed to a gear system to make them turn. So you had a whole bunch of them, uh, all coin-sized on black wires, um, wow. slowly turning. So there is the each. There's a, there's a lot going on here. Very much so. The, I, I said earlier, you know, maybe some of the bigger asteroids were more detailed. The biggest one is, of course, is the one with the cave in it. Um, and that, that was made the same way, polystyrene um, um, melted and then covered with uh, plaster. Uh, but for the actual surface itself, uh, they use uh, kitty litter. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they made the asteroid and, and then they just layered down kitty litter so it, it would bunch around some of the little, you know, outcrops and stuff like that and make it look a much more natural. That's hilarious. I thought you were going to say, like, some of those shots, especially, like, the ridges of these craters, they look like sculpted clay. Hmm. I think they, they I think they, they, they were either sculpted or they were cut with a hot wire thing, you know, but uh, they, they look to me like they are polystyrene that have been cut in some way and then covered with something, you know. Kitty litter, huh? Yeah, yeah. The, the Millennium Falcon flies over kitty litter. Nice. I like There's it. There's something you didn't know when you woke up this morning. I did. And you can get, go to bed knowing that. I did. I won't tell anybody until this airs. I don't want to spoil it for All right. anybody. All right. You can break the ice at parties with that bit of information. Yeah. I'll be able to walk right up. <laughs> did you know? And they'll be like, Hello. Oh. Did you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who invited this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's me at the end of the, the behind the scenes. Um,. And as usual, we're going into the rating. And I think I know what, uh, I kind of know what you're going to say there, Dave. So uh, after you, please. Now, re- remind me again of the rating system. Right. Ten is the best thing you've ever seen, a true classic. One is the worst thing that you could possibly see. And five is uh, distinctly average. I've got a feeling you're not going to go below five on this. No, I I will have to say I, I said two very minor negative things about this. 
I thought you was going to say a two. You're giving it a two. No, 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 no. (laughs) No. So I'm going to take not two, but two-tenths of a point off, and I'm going to give this a 9.8 out of 10. It's one of the greatest sequences in film history. Uh, I don't know how anybody could disagree. I know that people like special effects of today, and I don't, maybe it's based on your age. Like, we're, we're a little bit older than, you know, like people that are, are constant moviegoers now, and they like things to look exactly the way they do with, with the uh, CGI. It's probably a generational thing, but I'll take this stuff every day over CGI because to me, I've said this on, on Star Wars in character, that when I watch the prequels, and everything I'm seeing is computer generated and they came out and whenever they came out in 1999. When I look at it today, they look like cartoons. I, I feel like I'm watching an animated movie, which I am, but that technology is dated. Yeah. And it bothers me to the point where when I watch those, I can't get past it. When I watch older movies like this and I know that it's, clay or styrofoam or whatever you want to call it maybe it's because i'm an older guy and it's a generational thing these things in any movie will never bother me uh, like they like they will when everything is computer generated there's an artistry here not that computer generators aren't artists that's definitely that definitely takes an expertise and there's an artistry to it but to me the level of artistry done here far surpasses any of that stuff and i i can't imagine this ever not being beautiful it's artwork and i love art and this to me is good art 9.8 out of 10 okay right very well said sir um okay um brilliant sequence of course uh technically uh, technically technically excellent um but when i go to rate it I've got to compare it with what I gave to the opening of Star Wars, which is a 10. And comparing the two, I just can't give it the same. Um, so I'm giving it a 9.5. Okay. High marks. High marks indeed. And uh, uh, while you were talking then, I whipped out my uh, calculator. I'm glad you, said, I'm that, glad you said calculator. <laughs> <laughs> I put a pause in there just for you, Dave. Um, um, and that gives us an average of 9.65. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. Nothing wrong with that at all. That'll get you a gold medal at Olympics, especially if there aren't Russian judges. <laughs> okay, can't say fairer than that. All right. I, I'm interested to know, you know, if anything else from Empire Strikes Back is actually going to top that. Uh, we we shall see in future episodes. Yeah. Okay. I want uh, I want a lot of it. I want to hear you take apart all of these great scenes in the greatest movie of all time, and and I want to hear if anybody, any of your future guests, have anything to say that isn't, you know, that it's stellar. Because I want their address. Because I'm going to have a talk with them. Right. I think any any future guests that are talking about Empire Strikes Back, I'm going to send them this episode first for research. <laughs> particularly this last bit from yourself, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. I'll okay. Tell them, I'll find out where they live. You just tell them that, okay? <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, well, thank you ever so much for your time today, Dave. 
Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, you've done so much for us over the years on NeoZaz. It's wonderful for you to be an official part of it. Um, you've you've been a supporter from the very start. So this is the least I could do was to be on your show. And 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 I've I've always felt a, a kindredness with you uh, just in you know internet kind of stuff. And it's a pleasure to finally be able to talk to you, Eric. Smashing. Thank you very much, sir. Bless you. Okay, thank you everybody that's uh, listening out there. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram where we'll be posting a ton of stuff to do with this sequence. Um, Pop along there, let us know what you think about it. And uh, yeah, see you all soon. Bye-bye.